everyone. Welcome to episode 174 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Apple. With me is Lee McLeod. Hey, Lee. Hey, Chris. How's it going? It's going good. Nothing too exciting. Just, you know, all sore from working on my house. But other than that, pretty fine. I mean, I think that's pretty exciting. But I guess most of the excitement has kind of worn off until the work is done, right? Yeah, I mean, the soreness is not very exciting. But well, sure. Bun- bunch of steps to get to the point where, like, we've been focusing on getting the apartment half of the house livable for my sister to move in because she has a lease that is ending. So, you know, a lot of the work has been not really for, like, working towards my stuff, but still good to get it. Like, you know, it feels good to get it into shape for her. So that's nice. Does that like need a quick timetable? Is her lease up in like December or something? Yeah, her lease is up at the end of the month, so we wanted to make sure to get that ready first. I've not been doing, you know, <laughs> any hard labor here. I've just been sitting at home playing and or watching card games. Playing Legends of Runeterra. Yeah, I did. I did play that that tournament that I talked about last week. I did not make it to the, the big boy tournament. It was like a single elimination five round event. Yeah. And well, they I didn't actually just you. They didn't let you just play your combo-y deck every game, so... Well, actually, it's funny, because I, I played all five rounds, even though I lost in the first round. Because mm-hmm. you get, like, rewards based on how much you win. Uh, and every time they banned my, like, combo-y deck, I lost. And every time they didn't, I won. <laughs> like, <laughs> how about that's that? just how it worked. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if I were playing you, I would always ban your combo-y deck, so, you know... Well, eventually there'll be enough cards where I can have three combo decks. And then what do you do? So what is the, like, restriction? Can you only use each faction once or something like that? The restriction for that tournament was you... And I think this may be how Riot does their tournaments going forward, because it's, like, pretty flexible. Mm -hmm. Uh, The restriction is you can't have... So there's eight regions in the game right now, kind of like colors. You can mix and match them, but you can only have two. Mm -hmm. So you can't... You have to have three decks... And none of them can share a pair. So if you, you can't have two red-blue decks, to use a gotcha. magic analogy. Okay, but you can have a red-blue deck and a red-green deck, yeah. Yeah, and then a blue-green deck as well. Mm-hmm. Like a, There's no restriction on how many times you can do it. Gotcha. And you can't have... You can't duplicate your champions. So that game works kind of like Commander, where there are certain legendary ca- creatures that you can only have so many in a deck. So if you yeah, have, uh, but they're like, just more powerful than other creatures, basically. Yeah, they're just basically level up creatures or flip mm-hmm. cards or whatever from Magic. They're like build arounds, and you can't duplicate them across your decks. So if you've okay. used Lux in one deck, you can't use her in the other two. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I'm sorry you didn't win. What you know, whatever amount of money was on the line there, I I don't even know. But I'm Untold sorry you didn't riches. win it. Yeah, I'm sorry you didn't win. A dragon's horde. I could terrorize my own village with that kind of money. <laughs> or, you know, whatever your interests are. Sure. It's that, yeah. Okay, it's that. <laughs> uh, so today we are going to... I mean, Zendikar Rising Championship happened this past weekend, so we're going to talk about that a bit. But we've been talking about Historic <laughs> and Standard a bunch, so we don't want to spend just forever doing that probably talk about historic a little bit because the arena open is this weekend for anybody who didn't know that did you know that i did actually know that but i only learned about it this morning 
Okay. I, I don't I, know if that's because they put the information out late or if I just missed it the first time and they don't repeat things. I don't know if they, they might not have announced it. I have no idea. I only know about it because they have it on their like magic.gg calendar, which I, I spent some time like putting a magic calendar together. So like that made my magic Google calendar, which I should share with you. I'm using it to, you know, help figure out episode topics in advance and stuff. So that would probably be a valuable thing for you to have access to. Yeah, that'd be cool. But I there's huge gaps in it because like we didn't have the magic online schedule for 2021 yet. So I have no idea what magic online events are happening. I don't know if that got released in the past couple of days or what. I think they got announced today. There was some chatter about it on Twitter, but I didn't dig too deep into it because Yeah, I saw that like the mocks stuff was staying the same where they have the the showcases three times a year or i I never know which word means what thing but the 70k tournament three times a year the i think that is the mocks god the terminology for everything is just so awful i know it's not really bad it's one of their worst like marketing things or whatever they just keep changing the terms so often or in the case of magic online none of the terms correlate to how big the event is Right. Like, so many things have been called the mocks, the MOCS, that I just don't know what the term actually means anymore. Yeah, and, like, I I get that it's a little weird that stuff like this doesn't happen all that much, so there's not, like, clear things to draw from. Like, you know, if you, you can't draw from, like, professional sports where there's, like, playoffs and a championship. Like, it's different from that. You have to figure out what to name different tournaments in your tournament series. But like a little bit of thought and creativity could go a long way here like if you wanted to call things like by the calendar portion that they represent like this could be like the winter championship or something like that and then it's like clear like oh wow okay this is the culmination of x months of playing magic online like you can also delineate like lower and higher level events by you know any sort of ordering system like you can do uh bronze silver gold championship mm-hmm. or whatever and it, you could clearly tell which is more prestigious than the next yeah and it's i every time i see that an event is coming up i need to recheck their like long super like like 10 page long like layout of the magic online competitive landscape where just you don't understand what a tournament is unless you read the descriptions of the tournament that's one lower and the tournament that's one higher than it or you just like don't have any context for what the hell this thing is and they're so patchwork put together while well, we're just complaining about this like it, it feels <laughs> like they wrote them all at once like five years ago mm-hmm. and then they just update them as things change without you know reading the whole document and making sure other things need to be changed too yes also the calendar isn't a calendar it's just a table so you can't just export it to a google calendar like you should be able to you've got it in one place like i shouldn't have to like do it manually or spend hours and hours writing a macro to try to do it like this technology is really easy and it exists please give me a calendar that's exportable that's why in the old old ptq scg of open days we had mtg mom right which is just someone doing all that work and everyone loved her right right and that just doesn't exist anymore although like now is a perfect time for that to exist 
because it's all online, you know, regional stuff doesn't matter. It's all only online tournaments. So, and that's, that's pretty much what I'm doing with this Google calendar is consolidating it all into one spot. But I know that I'm not going to be diligent enough about it to put it out there as a resource for other people. It will be, I, I won't be dependable enough. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe I should set that as a goal for myself to actually like be good about it and update it and then make it a resource for people to use. But if you know. want to do that, it has to be at the beginning of the season and you have a house to work on. So yeah, yeah, not ideal, but Maybe I that's a stretch track goal. of it for us at least. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, <laughs> I'll help you out with that too. And we'll, we'll like probably at least make it available like for patrons with the caveat, like if something's not on there, like <laughs> let us know, but no promises. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, we missed a vintage championship. That's our bad. <laughs> so I watched much of the Zendikar Rising Championship this weekend. I don't know how much you were able to catch. I watched much more on Saturday than I did on Sunday because Sunday was my tournament. Yeah, that makes sense. So I didn't get to watch all of the basically high stakes matches. Yeah, I listened to a bunch on Saturday while working on house stuff. And then when I... Got back home, I got on and did a little bit of co-streaming with Jarvis just to, you know, fill in because Dom had to go I do time zone related things. I assume it was very late. <laughs> or no, I guess, wait, is Dom back in England? I don't remember where Dom is now, so I don't maybe know. I'm wrong. For some reason, I thought he was, but I'm not sure. Anyways. Uh, so I saw some from that perspective, and then on Sunday, I just kind of lounged around and watched a bunch more. But yeah, fun tournament, dual format tournaments. I, I do like because if one format kind of sucks, then you have another one. And even if both formats kind of suck, at least you get to switch off between the two. Yeah, that's the best, honestly. I, I, I do really like watching split tournament formats. I hope that most of the tournaments will be split format these big ones because this is like the pro tour analog right there are like 180 190 players yes and and you can be forgiven for not you specifically but an audience member who didn't know about this can be forgiven for not knowing this is a pro tour because you know we went from pro tours to mythic championships to players tours to set championships but th this is a pro tour. It's just like how would how could you ever be expected to know that? It's also kind of weird because the championship name to me implies that there's some sort of system like prior to it. Mm -hmm. But really, all you have to do for this is just qualify for it and then play in it. So it's just a tournament. Yes, it's just a pro tour, except worse because it doesn't really qualify you for other. Like, you can qualify for the next Pro Tour going forward, but if you don't spike and end up in Rivals or MPL, like, you're not getting anywhere. Anyways, my takeaways from this tournament were that Historic still kind of sucks, and <laughs> Standard is pretty cool, and there's a lot of churn, and a lot of assumptions get upset over time, and... The format is kind of different when played at a very high level versus played at a moderate, like, laddery sort of level. Yeah, that's not surprising to me. That happens in every single game. Mm -hmm. Because ladder is just not a good representation of play, like in any game. Mm -hmm. Because the structure of ladder 
and any tournament is just very vastly different. Like tournaments right, but... on Magic Online, the not leagues, but actual like events are much a lot closer aligned because there's mm-hmm. a lot more they're playing for. Yeah, and I I think it goes even a little farther than that in this tournament specifically. Um, one of the main things that I'm noting is like the significant difference in win percentage of rogues between like this tournament and like the SCG tournaments and stuff. I think that maybe the effect has been exaggerated a little bit and people are reading into the numbers a little bit too much, uh, especially given the sample sizes that we have. But it does seem pretty clear to me, and this is really interesting, that rogues in high-level tournaments where everybody is good is a way better deck than in other contexts when people are picking up rogues and not playing super well with it, I guess. Even against competition that is equal to them yeah exactly it's rogues is there's a lot of decks like that i think rogues is the best one in this format where the more you are just generally good at magic the better you're going to be with rogues that's just like true for every deck but rogues is a deck that really hard punishes mistakes Mm -hmm. and the higher you skill you get the less likely you are to make mistakes and rogues is not a deck that can like come back so easily from them yeah, that's the thing, is that deck, that is a deck with no haymakers in it. Like, its haymaker is a draw four, which is super powerful, but that doesn't do anything on its own. That's not casting an Ulamog or an Ugin. Like, that's, okay, like, you solved the puzzle to get to the haymaker. Like, here's another puzzle to solve to turn that into winning the game. Yeah, we're used to seeing, you know, like, Uro in every other format. Right. Where you just resolve the Uro and then you're so far ahead. Rogues is like Haymaker is draw four, which is good, but then you're drawing like, you know, like a Soaring Thought Thief, and then another rogue, and then like a counter spell and a removal spell. You're like, all right, I've got these to win with. They're just like six out of tens. Yeah. And then you see that reflected at high level play where people are able to leverage that those, you know, branching decision paths. And and Rogues has multiple different ways to win the game, and a lot of times it really rewards like locking into one knowing that I need to be doing this three turns from now sort of thing. There's just a huge number of super important inflection points in playing rogues. And then we see that reflected like in this tournament, rogues had the highest win percentage of any of the major decks and it had a winning record against literally every one of the other heavily played decks. So... Rogues is the thing if you have learned how to play it. And I feel vindicated here because Demir Control sitting at a solid 49.5%. That is not the deck for this sort of tournament. Yeah. I mean, I, I also feel vindicated because we were, not we, you, were smack teching Gruul, small, smacked, wow, I cannot talk today. <laughs> you were smack talking Gruul Aggro's representation of this tournament. And I said, I bet it would be played. And it's just the most popular deck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was going to be played. I, I, It's just weird to me that people would. And they didn't... I mean, I guess some people got rewarded for it. It did, like, fine. But it was a very average deck. 50% win rate in this tournament. It just... Seems like a weird choice to bring to it. I I still am afraid of rule whenever I play against it on ladder. Like, it, even in this field, beat up on the Doom Foretold decks. Which are usually what you don't really want to be playing against. Yeah. There's just a lot of Wicked Wolves here, man. 
Also, don't don't play mono green food in this sort of tournament. That deck did not do good. Yeah, but I still like it. Like mm-hmm. I, that's one of my favorite. Like you said, Demir Control had a bad matchup. Uh, Teamer Adventures, which was my favorite deck of this, is, has the same exact matchup spread as Demir Control, uh, win rate wise. Yeah, and that deck is still fine. Like it's not horrible. It's just kind of a small sample size plus player preference, I think. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, like I, I think in a tournament like this the best choice for you is the deck that you have played and understand the plans and you can turn bad matchups into medium matchups and you can turn medium matchups into good matchups because you play well and you sideboard well and you're confident in the cards you've chosen for your exact 75 for that tournament like in this kind of mature standard where i mean like kind of newish decks do keep popping up but the core packages and stuff are all pretty well known. Playing something that you're comfortable with, not just like that I can sit down and draw a hand and play out my cards in the right order, but also that I know how to switch these slots around based on what I expect this weekend. Like that's a really big deal in this format. Yeah, I, I feel that really hard because I was playing uh, blue-black control, kind of a homebrew blue-black control mm-hmm. uh, the past couple of days. I told you, I think yesterday, I just put a QR best the sea got in it because I was missing some <laughs> rare and I just had one lying around. But a lot of the times when I was playing that deck, and I'm I'm like I'm playing a 70 out of 75 of just a stock to mirror control deck, so it's not that far off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would just play matchups, having never played them before, and just submit my starting 60 because I don't really know what, what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so when I you mean, have that like matchup experience that you're building to to play in these tournaments, you that's where you get your your points in figuring out what exactly how your cards move around in slots in different matchups. Which yeah. I also I think rogues can perform well because all of these rely so heavily on having existing plans and strategies before you go into the game. Mm-hmm. And rogues is a deck that like lives or dies on that. Yeah, the the clearest example of this, I think, is the rogues versus mono green matchup, where I think a lot of people who are playing at the on the latter level, I, I think a lot of people feel that mono green has a fine rogues matchup and maybe may even be favored against rogues. But if you ask the pro level players what they think, I think that you'll get a pretty strong consensus that rogues is really good against mono green. And that's borne out in these results, 62% win rate against mono green. And it comes down ex- to exactly that, is to having a plan and knowing it. There was a, a thread on Reddit where somebody was like, what am I missing here? I don't understand how rogues beats mono green. And PV actually replied. And he was like, well, you have to have the right plan. And the important thing is that mono green doesn't have a way of killing your cheap rogues. And the best plan is just get a crab down and mill them out of the game before they can deal lethal damage to you because they're not that fast. And so you just control the game and make land drops and they can't stop you from milling them out. Like, Gruel landing a a Great Henge against Rogues usually means Rogues loses that game, you know, nine times out of ten. Mono Green landing a Great Henge against Rogues means that that's five or six cards you don't have to mill them out and you'll get there just a little bit faster than they do. But if you haven't played the matchup very much or you haven't invested the time or the the 
theory into figuring out like, oh, like here's what it is. They don't have removal. I am actually like sort of the aggro deck in this matchup. I just control their threats long enough to mill them out. If you haven't figured out that that's the strategy that works and you're trying to play more of a normal like resource trading game, you're going to lose that matchup more often than not. And and so that's where the just deep, deep format knowledge comes into play. Yeah, I don't really have anything to add on that. So I, I think, and we're getting into a weird spot of the year where it's like, tough to figure out what to do episodes on and i think what i am going to try to do and hopefully i have time to do this uh, i've wanted to do it but have found reasons not to but i think i want to just sit down and play a lot of matches with different versions of rogues and then maybe focus next episode or the episode after that like have that be an archetype deep dive into this deck i think it's one of the most interesting standard decks we've seen in a really long time Okay, I'll I'll play some rogues. I don't mind doing that. Cool. Then we'll we'll come up with a plan and split up the work a little bit. But it's gonna be I, real weird for me because that's a, definitely a type of deck I am very bad at. Well, I mean, but that perspective is like healthy to have too. And we may both come out of this with like forty percent overall win rates and just like really tired and like here's <laughs> what we learned. But I don't know if you should take this advice. Sorry, guys, we're we're just stupid. <laughs> it, I mean, it's it's not just that like. A lot of people play this deck, and it seems like only the best players consistently win with it, but you put it in the hands of the best players, and it's it's the best deck in the format. So, yeah, And then, you know, next week we'll be looking at a Star City tournament or whatever, Rogues will be back to its 40% win rate, and we'll be like, yep, this is what we expected from normal players. Yeah, yeah. And I, I have to imagine that that gap is... You know, a, a few die rolls have made that gap look a little larger than it actually is, because it, it's hard to imagine there's like a 15 percentage point gap between normal players playing against normal players with the deck versus great players playing against great players with the deck. Like, that's a huge shift. Yeah, there's probably other factors, too, like just stuff that we're not thinking about. Yeah, and just metagame things and whatever. Yeah. Well, yeah, we can we can do some rogues. Like it's it's hard right in December because I don't know what it is. It feels like the space between set one of the year and set two of the year is just so long. Because mm-hmm. even though Call Time comes out next month, at the end of January, so we'll have previews like start of January to mm-hmm. start doing stuff on. It just feels like it drags so long. Maybe that's because Arena, you just get the set so much earlier, and you've yeah. already figured out Omnath is broken. We even had Kaladesh come out, and it still feels like just interminable and i mean i like i like zendikar rising like we've had a bunch of cool stuff come out of it and it's transformed all of magic the gathering in fundamental ways but like not the way that oko did like in mostly very good ways thronaville trains kind of messed up yeah all the decks we're playing in standard now have some card from thronaville drain that just makes the strategy work or causes it to exist right whereas like the pieces that you're getting from zendikar mostly are like really strong enablers that make you know like gruel couldn't exist without the lands from zendikar but it's a much more subtle effect on the games it's much more just like consistency focused and like powerful things but not on the like you know chair throwing axis of 
throne of Eldraine. Not on that. I have 15 cards, Brandon Standard, and we're still going. <laughs> it's it's an unreal number of cards. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's 15. It's probably like five or something. But it's, yeah, I mean, but it's it's also just some of the most like mind-bogglingly egregious stuff. Once upon a time, and Oko foremost among them. Yeah, for sure. God, I'm so glad they finally banned Uro. That was a long time coming, even though they banned it so late. Yes, not from Throne of Eldraine, so, you no. know, we can't blame that for all of our problems. I mean, I will, but yeah. I know you... I'm going to switch topics to Historic real quick, because sure. that was also part of this tournament. It was. I just am bored of Historic. I think Standard is, like, so much more interesting and fun. Standard is so much more interesting. But I will shout out, you know, Azorius Control being the winner of this tournament. Dude, Brad Barkley, like, what a champ. Just showing up with... All, mostly four ofs Azor there's nothing fancy about this deck it's just good workman like teferi hero of dominaria shark typhoons counter spells graph diggers cages i mean that's the fancy thing but that's been in every blue white control deck in this format it's just you know honest work at this and, point i guess and i don't know how much you were like like you said you weren't able to watch much on sunday so you probably didn't see much dude is just a stone-faced scottish killer like nothing phased him throughout the entire tournament like an absolute joy to watch him just like terminator his way through the tournament yeah i didn't get to see that because his rise was on sunday basically yeah, yeah and i didn't really watch any on sunday but i heard his match against uh pretty much everyone he played actually it was just him doing what he did just yeah. crushing yep just absolutely crushing and i know that scotland is very proud and i think it's really cool that there was just an all uk finals like autumn played lights out during this tournament just yeah absolutely. when I, I saw any matches i saw from autumn they were always performing like peak magic the gathering yep yep just playing to outs just playing around hate drawing well but giving themselves an opportunity to draw well you know the, the better you are often or the more locked in you are on your deck, the more often you will top deck because you've given yourself the extra turn or you set up the game where you have extra cards that are amazing top decks. So, I think in the last tournament I watched Autumn play, they just got flooded out so many times, but played well up until that point where it felt like you know they got a little unlucky. I felt bad for them. Mm -hmm. So I'm really glad Autumn got their yeah. chance this time. Yeah, absolutely. It was with Goblins. One of my least favorite decks of all time. But that's not Autumn's fault that that deck is very good. Uh, you know, it didn't have an incredible win percentage in this tournament. It was below 50% because a lot of people had the answers to it. But the fact that Autumn was able to take it to the finals, like, even though there is hate that reduces the win rate of the deck, like, sometimes they don't draw it and then they die on turn three. Yeah, Muxus is a... Hell of a goblin. <laughs> that list was really nice. Just built really well for the Sultai matchup in particular. And Herald's Horn, that card we called out last week, that, that overperformed in the matches I saw it. Yeah, it, it seemed very good. Just anytime they're hating on your plan A or plan B, like that's a solid, just keep drawing goblins. Take them out. Yeah, I don't really have much to time in Historic. Like all the Historic games are pretty cut and dry. They play out mostly how I expected. Because I didn't get to see much of the Azorius control. 
uh, which I was very surprised when I learned. I thought Adam was just going to crush that match, but no. Yeah, I, I think that deck is actually pretty well set up against goblins specifically. Like, it has tools against, like, Sultai and stuff, but Sultai can punk you out by having Uro and an answer to your Graph Figure's Cage, and, like, you can't just keep countering Uro. That doesn't work very well against the Thoughtseize deck. Against Goblins, though, just that mix of Graph Digger's Cages, Wraths, and Counterspells is pretty good to, like, Muxus isn't that great because it's a six-mana spell against a Counterspell-heavy deck, and then a Tribal deck isn't that good against a Wrath deck. So if they can stop you from cheating, then it's actually, I think, a pretty good matchup for that blue-white list. Yeah, it's surprised me for sure. I was not expecting that to go that way. Uh, the the Herald's Horns were definitely, like, the thing that yeah. put put that matchup up in the air a little bit. A card that has been in the format ever since Jumpstart, right? But just no one played it until recently? Uh, I think it was in a lot of Goblin sideboards for a long time, but we didn't really have any, like opportunities to see it in tournaments with coverage and autumn put it in the main deck and that that's what really like made it a big deal her game ones against sultai were just like Here, here's a herald's horn like what are you going to do just kind of lights out yeah <sighs> i man historic just doesn't impress as much as standard sadly they even um, released kaladesh which is one of the historically like very powerful sets mm -hmm. just didn't do that much did some stuff. I mean, I, I think, like, Rakdos Sacrifice got a big boost from... I, actually, a lot of these lists played Skyclave Shades over Scrap Heap Scroungers, which I think is wrong. So. I do too, yeah. <laughs> but that's, like, not a big shift, right? That's just a marginal upgrade. Yeah, yeah. Nobody really adopted the Jerry T put Bomat Couriers in your Rakdos Sacrifice. That man just loves Bomat Courier. I know. I mean... I can't blame him. I love Bowmat Courier. Yeah, but it's hard for this to be the format of Bowmat Courier right now. It is. It is. Stuff just gets way bigger than that really quickly. And, you know, if actual mono red isn't good enough, it's it's really hard to find a spot for Bowmat Courier. And, and and actual mono red is not good enough. Yeah, like, if it was played in this tournament, it's among the 21 other decks that are listed. <laughs> yeah, I, I got... I guess I got bamboozled at the beginning of the format i really thought it was going to be something <sighs> oh well oh well maybe what's the next set that shadows are in a shot if we're going backwards i think is the one after kaladesh what did that set out of emrakul <laughs> yes emrakul doesn't have much for mono red we got like all the good mono red stuff i wasn't yeah. looking for mono red i was just looking oh, okay. for anything that could change the format <laughs> <laughs> that's like fair Emrakul, Traverse the Ovenwald, Tireless Tracker, Liliana. Ooh, Liliana. I'm into that. Although that's just going to be good in Sultai, right? Yeah. Maybe. Is Seder Wayfinder illegal in Historic? It just, like, can't be, right? Because people would play it with her. Right. It's not. God, I want Flip Jace. That's what I want to play in Historic. I want Magic Origin so I can play Flip Jace. Okay. Is Magic Origins the one with the uh, Insolo artifact in it? Yes, I believe so. But that is that not legal and historic? I, for uh, some I reason, my idea. brain thinks it is, but well, it, no way to check. So, well, I have Scryfall open. It's impossible no, it's to not. Know. It's in. It's also not in Origins. It's in Magic 2015. Ah, uh, okay. So we're just wrong on everything about that card. Yeah. Well, 
We'll make some scissors one day. Yeah, Bowman Courier, Dark Seal, Citadel, Shrapnel Blast. Let's do it. <laughs> Just have a Pioneer deck in the actual historic. The uh, Kethis lists, unfortunately, did exactly as badly as you would expect them to do in this tournament. Yep. I got pretty excited when I saw the list, but even like in the tournament or the uh, episode when we were looking at them, I'm like, I haven't played this deck in a while. I don't <laughs> think it's but, very good. God, especially without Teferi Time Raveler. Like, that was an absolute fundamental glue card to that deck that just you don't have a replacement for. Like, Kai's Paradox Engine Cannon deck was pretty sweet. That was sweet. He 3 0'd day yeah, one. Initially. I don't know how he did after that, but. I don't either, but. Yeah. I, I, I'm just going to assume he 7 0'd and then just lost every match in standard. It's <laughs> very possible. That deck is really cool. So that's Kinnon Bonder Prodigy, Lanoir Elves, uh, Emery, Mox Amber, Paradox Engine, Chromatic Sphere, yeah. Mind Stone. Yeah. So the. I, I think that I would prefer that over the, like, almost mono-brown Paradox Engine decks. Just the speed of Llanowar Elves in your deck, making use of Mox Amber. Uh, like, you're able to win the game a lot more quickly, or at least threaten to, in, in ways that your opponents have to respect. I don't know what the consistency is like. I gotta play this deck some. Yeah, I, I have it on my list of decks to craft, but I'm missing, like, the seven fast lands it plays. Oh, gotcha. So I haven't haven't gotten them yet. Well, you do have to craft those eventually anyways, so... Yeah, I'll, I'll get it eventually. I just didn't want to dump more money into Arena yeah. quite yet. Or ever, really. Well, <laughs> they're going to keep releasing stuff. If, the yeah. Pioneer, if their goal is to get Pioneer on this client, I am interested in that. <laughs> probably have to do a, like... I, I think probably have to start doing a dispersal of funds to from po the the podcast coffers to fund arena like testing of stuff it just like i don't really know it's way way easier for standard because yeah. when a new set comes out i can just draft it a ton and get all the cards naturally right but if we're trying to learn historic stuff and new historic sets are coming out at the same rate as standard sets yeah that that's when it gets really hard right because yeah. I, I i don't have very many cards from Kaladesh at all Right. I drafted this at like twice. Yeah, I drafted it a bunch, but I still only have like one of each rare in Mythic, so I'm not getting there on it. <sighs> we'll 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 think of something to do when Historic doesn't suck so much. Yeah. I always hope every time that a set comes out. Maybe we'll check back in in call time and they'll have banned, you know, anything in Historic. Uh, yep. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I just like check back in to try the new cards and Oh, Thoughtseize, Uro, and Muxus are still legal in this format. Why would I do literally anything else? I mean, not those three together, but, you know, some combination of... Unless... <laughs> <laughs> That's the meme deck there. <laughs> what really bums me out in Historic is... I mean, a lot of things bum me out. One thing that bums me out in Historic is... You can start off a deck list with Llanowar Elves collected company skyclave apparition and it's like all right like we've really got something going here and then i can't think of spell 13 to put in that deck like i just don't i can't think of a single other card that like goes with those things yep sorry there's no tireless tracker yet right yeah i mean wow okay actually can we do bant are we getting i were 
I wonder if we're getting Reflector Mage at any point. That's in, that's in Zendikar, right? Of the Gatewatch? Yeah, but like we're going back that far eventually. Yeah, eventually we'll be able to play the super powerful deck that has Bant Collected Company against <laughs> Uro and Muxus. <laughs> well, we're going to need... We got Meddling Mage. Oh, that's true. <laughs> For some reason. <laughs> Anthalia. No, that doesn't really help with anything. No, that's that's not ideal. We need we need Thalia's lieutenant is what we really need. Isn't that card is isn't that card legal? Is it? I don't know. Every uh, time someone says a card, uh, I just have no idea. No, it's not legal. Okay, yeah. we dodged it. I, I I I think that that keeps happening is I keep like knowing that Thalia is legal and then like confusing it and being like I don't think lieutenant is legal, right? Because that card would be legitimately very good. I think. I mean, that card well, is just really bonkers. One of the best that's cards. That's also Shadows of Rannistrad card for when that set comes out, huh? Yeah. No. Well, yeah, yeah, you're totally right. Yeah, it is. Yep. It can't be from any other set. <laughs> no, well, I, right. No, it can't be from Innistrad because that's Champion of the Parish, and then that's the, the throwback to Champion of the Parish. So, yes. How dare you forget Mayor of Averbrook? <laughs> I mean, yeah. So, once we, if we get Thalia's Lieutenant Reflector Mage, then I bet there's some, like, Bant Humans Coco deck. But yeah, like, Coco is just not really playable in the format right now. Is Ancient Ziggurat in Historic? Something tells me... I mean, you at least have um the one from Exelon, so... Yeah. You can play, like, a five-color humans deck with General Kudro and Thali's Lieutenant. And you can't maybe. play Ancient Ziggurat in a Collected Company deck anyways, so... Uh, yeah, that's fair. It is in Historic. I got that one. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what one piece of information that I felt a little bit vindicated by the the main win rate that MTG Data posted, they've just got Jun Sacrifice as one meta archetype with like about a fifty percent win rate, and then Martin Yuza asked them to separate separate Jun Sack and Jun Food, and yes, like tiny win rates, so hard to draw any conclusions from this, but Jun Sacrifice is the one that was dragging the win rate of that combo down, and Jun Food actually had a winning, you know. A, an overall above 50% win rate. So I feel a little vindicated here. I just, I think that deck is better. I think it's doing something that's way better than Collected Company into Culture Familiar. Uh, yeah, I think Jun's sacrifice with Collected Company is, is just not good. It's just not a good deck. Yeah. Like you, you'll win because the sacrifice engine is good, but you're better suited either making it Fractive Sacrifice and just having your deck be leaner mm-hmm. or Jun Food and have your deck be more synergistic. Yeah, like actually just mismatch. To- kill somebody if they have an uro in play like, yeah exactly i mean you're still not going to but you you have more of a chance <laughs> you you literally can with corvald but that's it like right <laughs> that, that's it <laughs> that's where it starts and where it finishes <laughs> luckily it is pretty difficult to heartless act a corvald it is corvald is actually like pretty resilient to a lot of the main removal you know you can't Heartless act it if it gets a counter, which it does immediately upon coming into play. You can't eliminate it. You can't fatal push it. Like, Sultai kind of has to extinction event it. And that might not work. And if they have the Uro in play and you play the Corvald and the extinction event, then it, you know, they have to get their own Uro to get your Corvald off the table. Typically, that's not really a problem for Sultai to just have another Uro, but yeah, it is a little awkward. True. 
And you might be dying to Nissa before you can swing with your Corvald, but you know, these are <laughs> these are all things that happen in historic. You just gotta live with them. It's so much better than casting Collective Company and put a Dreadhorde Butcher and a Woe Strider into play. I just like I feel like you always get a cauldron familiar and it's just a tragedy. <sighs> At least that card's part of an engine. Yeah, but like you only need one in all of the cards you've seen all game. It's not like Oh, they killed my priest. Thank God I'm companying into another priest. Like, my cat's in the graveyard. I never want to see another cat this entire game, please. It's like a squadron hawk, but you have to draw them sometimes. Yes. Um, should we do some questions? That's really what the second half of this episode was supposed to be. Yeah, let's let's do some questions. We talked about magic a lot longer than I thought we would. Mostly well, we reminiscing cut- about... Yeah. <laughs> i don't this think we gave the people be. too much actionable strategy here but well, let's stop pretending and just go straight to the questions <laughs> great let's do it uh do you want to start reading or how do you want to do this yeah i can start reading basically this was going to be more of a question show than usual so we'll do several uh just starting from the top so alan asked what's your favorite restaurant you've had on an mtg related trip so mine is probably Secret Sandwich Society in, is that in, that's in Richmond, right? Yes. Somewhere in Virginia. Yeah. Well, it's definitely no, not it, in Roanoke, so let me, let me double check. So yeah, it's in Richmond, like walking distance from the convention center. It's not like the fanciest meal or anything like that, but it's like my my scale of like rating and enjoyment of restaurants is like are they doing the thing they are trying to do really well like there's no point in comparing a sandwich place to like a brazilian steakhouse or something like that like i'm going to enjoy a, a good sandwich place way more than a medium brazilian steakhouse and this is one of the best sandwich places i've ever been to and they also have really good drinks and it's just like all kind of perfectly executed and it was the bonus was that like I went to it with a friend who I was teaming with for that tournament who I don't get to hang out with as much anymore. And he also really appreciates like food and good drinks and like being able to hang out with him while enjoying a very good sandwich was nice. So that's my answer. I've I've heard you recommend this place before and we were going to go to it the last time we were in Richmond, but they were just closed when we tried to go. Oh, yeah. And I had still not had it yet. <laughs> that is pretty lame. Well, um, you're not going to have it for a minute. No, it'll, it'll be a while. Man, food-related questions are always so hard for me. Yeah, I had to think about this one for a little while, so. I, there's, well, now that I have sandwiches on the mind, there's a really good Vietnamese sandwich place in Roanoke. Like, that's really close to the convention center, the Brooklyn Center. Uh, and it's very good. I cannot remember the name of it. But literally, if you ask any one who lives in Roanoke or just goes to the Invitationals with any frequency, uh, it's and, Viet Sub, right? Yeah, Viet Sub. Thank you. Yeah. That, 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 the, they just have very good sandwiches, and it's so short of a walk, it's very easy to get to. So yeah. you don't have to pay like $30 for a Chick fil A sandwich at the convention center. <laughs> <laughs> and yet. I do that pretty much every time because often I have 10 minutes to eat. Yep. And you should play more Monorib. <laughs> That's uh, not actually, what you were doing. Well. <laughs> There's also a biscuit place in Roanoke I really like. It's some scratch biscuit company. They, they're yeah. like 
make all their own biscuits. They have a lot of really good specialties. Uh, I place more emphasis on breakfast than like any other meal before a tournament. <laughs> because I, I typically just don't eat anything until like dinner. Sure. Yeah. So if I get I, I like going to the Roanoke to go to that place, grab like a, a biscuit because they have really good ones and they're big, well sized, well portioned. They're gigantic. Yeah. And that, that just keeps me for the whole day. I don't even have to walk to the it's up. Yeah, I love Scratch. Scratch is fantastic. I, you're making me miss going to Invitationals right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's also like a barbecue place in Richmond that I regret. Like I went to it with uh, Chris Rogers and I do not remember the name of this place and we wanted to go to it last time we were in Richmond but we just couldn't remember the name of it. So mm. it, it vanished from our collective memory. <laughs> but that, the barbecue was very good. Yeah. Well mysterious unnamed barbecue place i'm sorry i won't get to visit you for a while either <laughs> all right next question anti-trumpet has two gift related questions what gift are you hoping to get this year and what's your favorite gift you're giving to someone this year <laughs> i don't really hope for gifts anymore getting gifts as an adult is weird i can buy pretty much anything that i want for myself Anything that I can't buy for myself, like, nobody should be getting me as a gift because it's obviously, like, way too expensive. And I'm, like, obviously, like, my life is focused around, like, reading science fiction novels and playing Magic the Gathering. So there's very there's very few things that are, like, yeah, that would be a nice thing to have, but I wouldn't buy it for myself. It would be cool. Like, obviously, I'm just willing to buy whatever goofy thing I'm interested in. So, yeah. It's it's actually been a while since I've gotten like a really good present because nobody really knows what to buy for me and there's not really anything that would be a fantastic present. I feel very similarly. I I, I just tell people I don't really have to get me anything. That's fine. I don't really want anything or need anything. You know, yeah. like one time I asked for some like random kitchen stuff and they just didn't like giving it to me. Uh, I think it was my mom, actually. <laughs> she just like wanted to get me a real gift. And I'm like, but I, I need these. <laughs> yep. Uh, as far as gifts that I'm giving this year, I, so I, I think gifts are really good when you like, obviously when they're kind of personalized. And so like, I noticed that both of my parents were like struggling to cut things while cooking because their knives are all bad <laughs> so i'm getting them some a couple of nice knives mostly like one really nice chef's knife is the important thing this is a a tip for all of you people who are figuring out cooking and like figuring out how to be an adult and stuff one of the main things that i've learned is you only need one knife in your kitchen yeah the chef's knife just the whetstone. A, a good chef's knife yeah and you you want a whetstone or you want a honing steel so and hone it uh every time that you use it and then yes, you do want to sharpener and sharpen it every once in a while. But yes, one good chef's knife and like you spend like a hundred bucks on it, but you don't need a set of knives that will usually cost like a hundred or two hundred. Like one good hundred dollar knife will last you for a very long time and you'll enjoy cooking more. So um yes. <laughs> and you struggle less, way less. Yes. And it's safer too. So Yeah, I don't I don't have I don't <laughs> My gift giving is 
extremely limited this year. Right. I don't, I think I'm getting but like one gift for like a secret Santa person for someone I don't know. So I'm just getting whatever's on their wish list. Yeah. It's that's like not... one of my brother's girlfriends. I'm like, I just literally have never met you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I really like getting people books and I really like delving deep into like the stuff that I've read that year to figure out like, what is the book that I read this year that this person would enjoy the most. And sometimes I'm right. And sometimes I'm really not right. So it's a little bit of a crapshoot sometimes. I, yeah, I'm not sadly doing that much of the holidays this year. Yeah. But maybe we'll make up for next year, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> Another food one. Uh, JJ asks, what's your favorite holiday cookie? Cookies are like fine, but they're all kind of interchangeable to me a little bit. The... They're just receptacles for milk for you, right? <laughs> I mean... Listen, a nice, like, fresh-baked chocolate chip cookie, fantastic. The, like, holiday sugary treat thing that I most look forward to is, like, peppermint bark and related, you know, like, dark chocolate peppermint bark. Like, that's the thing that I'm into. And, like, that's the, that's honestly, like, the main thing about the holiday season that I'm like, yeah, it's Christmas time. They got peppermint bark at the grocery store. <laughs> We know it's time. <laughs> I unsurprisingly have no answer to this. They just yeah, straight not up a sweet not eat cookies. <laughs> yeah, like no. sugar cookies are also just like I think independently not good. Like I know that's a lot of the Christmas cookie thing or just sugar right. cookies. Yeah, I'm I not just, into that. I don't know what they give you. Like the the blue tin of like shortbread and sugar cookies like i'm just not interested in those cookies even a little bit oh a magic the gathering question yeah it's, it's a magic the gathering podcast yeah read it well i'm well out of my comfort zone on the magic the gathering question disposable hero asks when is it better to play the best deck when is it better to play the deck that beats the best deck disposable hero coming in with a question that is a whole episode worth of discussion easily i could sum this up in like a couple sentences Okay, I want to hear might, that. We might could do an episode on it like later on. Yeah. But it's almost always better to play the best deck, like categorically. Right. And it's only better to play the deck that beats the best deck when you aren't losing to, when you can beat everything else. Like it's just a secret. Mm -hmm. Or yeah, you the, it's beat when, what's most popular. It's better to play the deck that beats the best deck when the deck that beats the best deck is just the best deck, but splashing for a card that like beats the mirror really easily. Like that's that's when you really got it. Or or it's just like the best deck, but no one quite knows it yet mm -hmm. because there's an interaction someone overlooked or the deck's really new. That's basically the only time it's correct to play the deck that beats the best deck just because it is the best deck in secret, incognito. Yep. And this question is also... You know, there's different ways of understanding the definition of best deck. Like, this standard format, I would say that there is not a best deck. Like, in the way that we've been thinking about it through the past couple of years of standard, which have mostly boiled down to one deck formats after a little bit of churn, we're not in a spot where this standard is just not going to boil down to being a one deck format. It, it, it is not capable of doing that until maybe some broken cards come in with call time hope that doesn't happen so we don't have a best deck in that form so in this format 
I don't think that there is a default. Like, you shouldn't just go play rogues because it had a 55% win rate at the Zendikar Rising Championship. Like, the best deck for you in this format is going to be the deck that you know the best and can win the most with and are sideboarding properly with and stuff. And, you know, that's why this standard is good. Yeah, more standards should be like this. <laughs> Lizard King asks, What's in my pocket? <laughs> I didn't know that Bilbo Baggins was one of our patrons. Well, answer the question. It was fa fairly asked. It's not, though. Like, <laughs> legitimate, like, Bilbo was just absolutely cheating in that scene. Gollum should have murdered him. I mean, it, he wasn't cheating intentionally. He well, just forgot what was in his pockets and then said out loud, what's in my pockets? And then right. Gollum is super hearing or whatever, so he's like... That's not a fair question. Yeah, but clearly like, it wasn't. Bilbo doubled down on it. Like that's yeah. when the cheating started. Like that was a cheat of opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. So not into it. I know this is a trap, so I'm not gonna answer this question. What was the answer? Lint or nothing? Is that the answer given? He made Bilbo allow him three guesses, and then his last guess was a double guess. Like he guessed two things, and then his last guess was string or nothing. And Bilbo was like, well, that's cheating, but it's neither of them. Like a, <laughs> like a complete scumbag. Yeah, Gollum should have won. Projecting. <laughs> he would have prevented the whole war. Like, come on. Well, who knows what would have happened to the One Ring if Gollum had gotten it back. Well, if it just never left the cavern in the first place. He'd been there for like a thousand years or whatever. No, wait, is Gollum? Gollum's that really old. I don't know if he's that old. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the a... One Ring does keep you along, keep you alive for a long time. I never read all the ancillary stuff. Yeah, I didn't so either. I don't know exactly how old Gollum is. I'm not an expert on this, and we should move on before we embarrass ourselves further. <laughs> all right, Farrakh asks, "What commander would you make or represents you?" Yada yada. I think this is like a little up for interpretation. How we want to answer this. The answer that I am going to give is the commander that I always liked back when I like played commander was Brian Stoutarm, which okay. is a a Lorewind legend, two red white for a four four lifelink and a red tap sacrifice a creature. Brian Stoutarm deals damage equal to the sacrifice creature's power to target player, and since Brian Stoutarm has lifelink, you gain life. So I really liked that because I liked. Violate. I like that it was a commander that kind of intrinsically violated the social construct of EDH, which is like, we're going to do stuff and we're going to set up engines and things like that. And Brian Stoutarm's just sitting there like, um, I have thousand year elixir in play. So if you dip below like 20 life, I'm just going to kill you on my turn. And that was really fun to me. <laughs> I. Oh, this is weird because I don't play commander because I don't like multiplayer. Right. But right. I do like the theme or the deck building restrictions around making commander decks. I think it's really cool. Mm -hmm. uh, some of my favorite decks I've made in commander were like Patron of the Orochi, which was really, really early in the format before the, everyone realized. The oh. snake patron. Yeah, the snake patron. It wasn't really a snake deck, it was just a. I, I want, like, untapping all my lands deck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Malfagor was one of my favorite commanders. Uh, it was just, like, all discard graveyard stuff. Mm -hmm. Malfagor sucks. It's just, like, an atrocious <laughs> card. Yeah, it's really so bad. the goal is just to find out how to build a cute deck without playing, like, all the cards everyone was playing. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was fun. 
but if I had to like make a commander that I like represents me, I guess it'd probably just be something very similar to the Urza card in Modern Horizons. Yeah. It's just like all the stuff I want to do, you know, like have artifacts in play, random effects, generate mana. It's it's just good stuff. Yeah. What if I made a commander? What would it be? Jeez. Like something like Mishra from Times Power would be cool if it worked in that, Commander. That always bummed me out so much is that it's so clearly like the type of older card that like Commander is designed to allow you to do stuff with, but it just you need duplicates in your deck to make it work so it can't work. Literally, if Mishra was just like at the beginning, if you whenever you cast a, an artifact, just cascade into another artifact specifically, mm -hmm. I think that would be neat. That would be really neat, yeah. Something that made it work. I mean, obviously that'd be a degenerate combo engine, but that's like half of Commander anyway, so who cares? Well, but it, it could be like whenever you like cast an artifact, you like flip until you hit an artifact with the same CMC and cast that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be cool. Let's do that one. Yeah, let's just errata Misha and yeah, that can be your U Commander. I don't even know the name of that card mishra artificer prodigy Something yep that, like that is it that is the name really? of that card yep wow, i'm impressed you knew that <laughs> well you knew it you just reminded me that that was it i don't know what i i wouldn't i don't know what my commander design would be i'd have to think about that for a while i may come back at some point it's just a big arc light phoenix <laughs> yeah like arclight phoenix that enters from the command zone when you yeah okay so i probably i i would like a god i don't know exactly what it would be i like cards with quests so i would like it to be an arclight phoenix kind of thing that enters the battlefield from your command zone or your graveyard if you like fulfill a particular thing i don't know if it's casting three spells specifically but i think you would, I, I like getting a thing as like a payoff and like puts me on a quest and like i can build my whole deck towards doing that I, and uh, like that feels very elegant to me to like get a free thing for the thing that i already wanted to do and that that really like makes me feel good when i get to build a deck that is doing that so some, something like that one of my favorite cards from unstable is baron von doom which mm -hmm. is just like a random legendary creature with a bunch of numbers on him right and he, I think his countdown starts at one, and whenever you cast a card that has, I'm gonna butcher this because I haven't looked at the card in forever, but it's like whenever you cast a card that has the number, you take a number on one. it that's yeah. the same. Yeah. yeah. So if you cast like anything that deals one damage, you can tick it up from one to two, and then when it hits five, you destroy target player. I think is what it says. And that's just like a cool design. Right. I yeah. I always liked. Uh God, was it from? Amonkhet, what what was that enchantment? Impending Doom. Impending Doom. I always thought that was a really cool card, and when you could make it work in a limited <coughs> deck, it, it felt really good. That's the three mana enchantment, enters with a Doom counter on it, and then whenever you cast a spell with a CMC equal to the number of Doom counters on it, it deals that much damage to a target, and then you tick it up one. So you do like one, two, then two, then three, then four. And the trick was trying to get the ones into your deck to make it work. And then if you did, it was like an extremely powerful card, potentially. It's, it's also imminent doom. Impending doom is a yeah. random card. Yeah, okay. impending doom <laughs> is a totally different thing. This is imminent doom. <laughs> Do you want to answer this next question? <laughs> yes. So, yeah, I mean, we like, we owe Sean Hunter just like 
an MTG Grindcast stalwart who is, you know, you see his name pop up, the Baron of Bacon, doing well in lots of tournaments, but he always, you know, sticks around and is part of our community. So I'm willing to answer Sean Hunter's question. Would you rather poop actual factual softballs or sweat mayonnaise? And I don't know how much experience, you know, as a dude, you rarely, you don't grow up like playing softball. So I don't know how many of you have held a softball in your hand, but it's very large and it's not soft. So no, no, it's the easy, clear. I would be very suspicious of you. You didn't answer this. This is sweat mayonnaise. Like (laughs) mayonnaise isn't even acidic, like pooping actual factual softballs. That is going to hurt. Yeah, it it would be pretty atrocious. Although, I mean, I I was thinking like I do sweat a lot because I like run a lot and stuff. And so it would be really annoying to sweat mayonnaise. But, you know, you also poop a lot. So it's not a great choice. And is the mayonnaise sweat like completely sanitized? Can you just use it? Is it just efficient mayonnaise shopping? Well, would you use mayonnaise that has been on somebody's skin? Like, not really. Yeah, I I guess not, yeah. Like, even if it is pure, you know, Hellman's mayonnaise just coming out of your pores, like, you're still going to have hair follicles and dead skin cells in there. Easy mayonnaise sweat. This is just not even a question. (laughs) Yeah, it's got to be. But still pretty gross. Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) This is is like a curse you... Like give someone the option to well that's <laughs> or... like, it's amazing the gap between like how interesting the two negative would you rathers versus the two positive would you rathers like every like two good things would you rather is just like fundamentally uninteresting to even talk about like it's not fun it's not funny it's just like would you rather have a bunch of money or would you rather have the biggest penis and it's like, well, you know, money. Like, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> just whatever. <laughs> like, it's always like really easy. It's just whichever one you kind of want more and you don't have to think about consequences or anything. With the like two negatives, even when one is kind of clearly the right choice, it's like, but that would still suck. I got to think about this a little bit. Yeah, you really have to go through it. Whereas, you know, everyone knows the benefit of just more money. Like, go on. Right, right. Yeah, because these are always, like, rooted in some, like, like, the rules of the universe have been changed to allow this terrible thing to exist. The other stuff, it's always, like, would you rather, like, have this thing that other humans already have and is, like, kind of fundamentally uninteresting? Would you like to fly or shoot laser beams? I don't, I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really matter. I guess fly. It's fine. This decision doesn't matter. Would you rather sweat mayonnaise or poop softballs i gotta think about that i gotta give this a little thought because i know i'm not gonna like the outcome no matter (laughs) what right like laser beams or flight like it's fine like i'm just in a better position either way unless it's like cyclops laser beams but then we're in the territory of like we got some negatives here that's monkey paw stuff right right all right next question mike braverman asks bob ross or john avon lands i i mean the selection of Bob Ross lands is like very specific and limited and not really part of my magic experience yet. What if you expand this question to just Bob Ross paintings, any painting you want, you could put as a land or John, even every printed basic land. He's done. 
Well, I don't know. I'm not super familiar with Bob Ross's portfolio. You know, I know like what he does. And I think that, you know, Bob Ross's body of work is not his paintings. His body of work is the show and what he's like given to the world by offering this sort of very wholesome, meditative, kind, charming experience. Like that's Bob Ross's art. The paintings are really secondary to the whole thing. So you don't know. I mean, John Avon is a better artist than Bob Ross, but it's not really relevant to what Bob Ross has contributed as a human being to our shared cultural experiences. Oh, yeah, for sure. I I think... So I actually do really like a lot of Bob Ross's paintings. I think they're like very calm and nice and good. And yeah. I like I would like to play with a lot of them as basic lands. I mm -hmm. think that's cool. So for like the most part, I would say Bob Ross. Mm -hmm. But if we're doing any kind of fantasy thing at all, it's sure. easily John Avon. Like, like if I want a, a, a Mirrodin planes or whatever, John Avon's done like 15 of those. Right. So right. I'm probably going to pick him. <laughs> Yeah, and I usually lean towards the basic land arts that have something weird or interesting or a focal point that's kind of unexpected. And, like, that's more, you know, John Avon has the forest with the, like, beating the, the red thing that maybe is anger from Odyssey and probably isn't actually, but I always think it is. And, you know, that sort of thing. Those are the basic lands that I, I am really drawn to, so. He has the Times for All Mountains that look like little sticks. Yes, yeah, it does have those. <laughs> yeah, I think John Avon is better for magic, but Bob Ross is, is nice. And and it's always nice to get something different in there. Like, that's why, I mean, there's a bunch of reasons, but that's one of the reasons why, like, the APAC lands are super cool. Like, I wish that the APAC lands, Bob Ross lands, all the, like, generic lands they've done would see way more airtime and core sets mm -hmm. than, like, the same recycled art we get over and over again sure yeah that was course really cool. it's art is for basic lands is really boring considering the amount of generic lands that can go anywhere mm -hmm. just never show up in them like all the rebecca gway lands they did for commander a few years back sure those are some pretty good ones for like her style her body of work and they're just only in the commander set yeah and and corset basics are almost universally like pretty boring uh Farrak asks a bunch of questions what country will you visit when the pandemic is over Do going to me i have no idea i, <laughs> I have not so i'm terrifically unqualified because i have not left the united states so uh -huh. any country i visit would be the first one for <laughs> me <laughs> and can i even visit countries outside after the pandemic's over who's gonna even am i gonna be allowed to come back into the country am i gonna be able to go to that country like i think we're operating under the assumption that things mostly return to normal at some point post vaccine i've always wanted to go to japan because mm -hmm. it's like a they have a bunch of weird like magic stuff too there's just a really big cultural center for things i like they have a really good fighting game community scene stuff like that uh and the culture is very weird and i don't know a lot about it yeah i think probably well so i do kind of want to do a big motorcycle trip through south america i think would be a really really cool thing to do at some point in my life that that that's something i am hoping to put together at some point 
and I have not done that and obviously is not available to me right now. And even post pandemic, there's certain dangers that you have to figure out how to navigate around. So it's a pretty big undertaking, but that's a thing I would like to do at some point. What's the most important thing you learned in She-Ra? I mostly just that, like, I really liked She-Ra. I wouldn't have known that without yeah. watching a bunch of it. It's like, that show's really good, by the way, for anyone who hasn't watched it. Mm-hmm. But it's, like, the demographic for learning is much lower than us. Right. Right. I don't, <laughs> I'm not going to walk away from the show being like, yeah, friendship is really important, isn't it? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, figure that one out. Thanks. I did figure that one out. <laughs> Most, I guess I learned that um, one of the things I really liked about Chira was that the protagonist was like kind of dumb. Uh-huh. And that, that was just very endearing. And no one like uh, gave her shit about it at all. You know? Right, right. Because they were friends, like legitimate friends who like could have problems and then backed each other up and helped like like personal problems. And then they helped each other like work through them and figure it out. It's a very good show. What's your favorite magic card that sucks? I feel like uh, you have a lot of these, right? I, I feel like, so whenever I'm asked questions like these, I just can't think of a single magic card in the history of magic cards. Yeah, like, you're kind of on the spot. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I really like the stations from Fifth Dawn. Like, all of them. Okay. Uh, blasting, grinding, summoning, and salvage. Yeah. Like, those are some of my favorite cards when I was starting playing. If you have them all in play, they, like, kind of chain together, but it doesn't really do anything. Well, you mill them out and you make infinite 2-2s. Do so. you? Do, yeah. Is it infinite? It doesn't require mana investment or anything? It's infinite, yeah. Okay. okay. They all just have tap abilities. Okay. And you also can deal infinite damage to them. If you have all four in play, you win. Okay. That's, okay. like, kind of not the appeal to me. Right. No, of course not. <laughs> I just like that they're, like, they have weird untap things on abilities that don't work with what they're doing and then they do something else right it's just kind of neat just and it like I, I like all of them summoning but station costs like a million mana right it's seven mana seven yeah. mana to make a two two yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean at least grinding stations he's play every now and then you know that's kind of the degenerate cheap one my favorite magic card that sucks i okay so this is a weirdly complicated one and i don't really know how to express this completely so avon trooper from torment this is a common it's three and a white for a one one with flying and it has two and a white discard a card it gets plus one plus two until end of turn and i just couldn't and still don't understand this card like they put such a high like, for a, a lot of the cards in Odyssey block, they price them as though discarding card is, like, a huge advantage. Like, wow, what an enabler for your graveyard things and your madness things. Can't give you a, a mana discount. In fact, we'll tack a couple extra mana onto this thing. And, like, that's what happened with Avon Trooper. But then just some of the cards, they didn't do that. So, like, Wild Mongrel is just a grizzly bear that you discard a card, it gets plus one, plus one, and you can change its color. And that was, like way way overrate for the time period and it was just totally inexplicable to me like how some cards got costed completely differently for like what discarding a card meant 
And this one just sticks in my head. And I remember the art like really, really well because it's really striking art that like kind of doesn't belong on a magic card at all. When I pulled up this card to look at it, I'm like, I don't know the cards you're describing, but I recognize the art instantly. Yeah, like that art sticks in your head. And when I was a kid, like I thought the art was like really ugly. But as I got older, I was like, damn, this is like really, really cool, like extremely cool. Uh, so it, it occupies a weird place in my heart where like I just don't understand how this like card design like any step of it happened like who came up with the idea for it who like costed it this way who like saw it and was like yeah this is fine let's put this in a set nobody will ever use it for anything ever and then they slapped this like neat art that doesn't belong on a magic card on it and then it's just like sitting in a corner of my brain and will always be there i will always be able i'll be 75 years old and i'll be able to tell you the text of avon trooper and i'll be able to describe the art Back in my day, we paid seven mana and two cards for a 2-4 two, two, flyer. A 2-3 two, flyer. 2-3 flyer. Like, <laughs> this could just be a 2-3. Like, I don't get it. <laughs> Why? Okay, Josh asks, what's your favorite meme right now? Oh, man. Okay, I got to think about this. Cause there's okay, some... I have one ready to go. Okay. I've got, like, two memes I, I like uh, right now on my mind. Mm-hmm. I like the, I'm always a big fan of the uh, choosing between two options sweating button. That's a good one because there's a lot of yeah applicability. Yeah. Uh, but recently, all, all the Adam Driver beams with the knocking. Okay. There's some good ones on there. Yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's a very solid one. Let's see. I've been, I've gotten kind of into TikTok recently. It's actually a really, really good platform despite the like Chinese spying and like child pornography part aspects of it. Not actual child pornography, but like a huge amount of its success are like 16 year old girls doing suggestive dances in not a lot of clothes. And like, that's a lot of what's on the thing. And so like that sucks for a million different reasons, but it is also the spiritual successor to Vine, which I thought was just pretty much the best social media slash content platform that we've ever had, which was just like seven second videos. And it was just a genius idea that worked really, really well. But obviously, like the people in control of it sucked and destroyed it because capitalism is the worst. I think TikTok is a really, really cool platform. And there's a lot of just like really excellent comedy stuff going on on it including just some incredible like kind of at the absolute cutting edge of like what comedy is sketches and skits and and i would highly recommend getting into that side of tiktok there's some bizarre stuff that you just don't understand why it's kind of like destroying you with how funny it is um the so you know there's a lot of a lot of the memeing on TikTok is that like there's a sound is what it's called. And you just like pl- have the same sound as another video and then you reuse that. And I really like so this is there's a song called Oh No by Capone. And it's just like when a disaster strikes, you use this video and the, the lyrics are just like repeating Oh No over and over again. 
And so you can use it like when something bad happens in a video game that you like really set yourself up for in a very stupid way or something like that. That one I'm I'm pretty into. I, I like that quite a bit. I also like so the song Come and Get Your Love by <laughs> Redbone. So, you know, that's the song that goes, hey, hey. hey. And but if the best ones, the ones that I really like, one person says, hey. And then somebody else says, hey, back, but you're not like expecting it. And so the next line is, what's the matter with your mind? But if you just cut it off at what, it just sounds like you're like really surprised that whatever it is responded back. It's very difficult to explain. But if you like just listen to the first minute of the song, it's very easy. Yes. Yes. Because the the what is very high pitched. What? Yes. That's it. Exactly. Exactly. So anyways, you know. Hard to describe like audio based memes on a podcast, but <laughs> but I'm um, actually playing it. Yeah. More into more into TikTok memes than like Twitter memes now. This is tic- Twitter is old news. I, I I listen to any TikToks that get sent to me or come across. Some mm-hmm. of them are really good, but I have not got into like the actual platform. Yeah, I I have a little bit more recently, and I'm I may start making some at some point because I have some. I actually just kind of want to like show off how stuff in short videos and it's a way better platform than for that than YouTube is. So, yeah. <laughs> then Nick asks, what is a moment that everything clicked for you? The original question does have it can be magic or whatever. But the base question is like, well, uh, it hasn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> definitely hasn't. Not. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like way easier to answer in a magic context because like i've talked about when you when you're really locked in on a deck in a format that you understand and you know all of the matchups and you got like like i've called this like seeing the matrix when you just get it like you know and and you don't have to you don't have like a sideboard plan like you can just sort of like it's a matchup you're on the play or you're on the draw and you know you just like flick through your deck and you just like pull out the cards that come out in that matchup and you pull in the cards that you want and it's like really easy and you like look at a hand and you're like this is not going to beat my opponent this game I'm going to mulligan it even though it's lands and spells and like honestly when I'm really locked when I'm really dialed in on a deck that is the time in my life when I've most clicked on anything I'll I'll answer a non-magic click just a tiny portion because right now in my life, I'm pretty chill, generally. <laughs> I, I try to not be a hypocrite. That's like a big thing for me. But early, early on in my life, I was very sarcastic and like condescending. Mm. Which honestly, some of that still gets through because I'm a person. But <laughs> I just remember hanging out with people at middle school, high school maybe. And they're just doing the same stuff I did, and it just annoyed me. And I'm like, uh, why is this annoying me? It's the exact same thing I do. I'm like, oh, I kind of suck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try to do this less. And that's like kind of how I've started trying to do things. Yeah, I'm that's... just trying to not make myself feel bad constantly. <laughs> now, that's a good click moment when the actions of others rather than you like externalizing your feeling like cause you to perform some self-reflection 
it just it, it happens with other things too where i'll get really annoyed at people that are doing just anything like right now i'm super annoyed at people complaining about kind of anything <laughs> which is not fair <laughs> because there's a lot to complain about but when people complain about like really childish or silly stuff i'm like this is such a waste of time why would you do that yeah. and i know that i'm also guilty of it so <laughs> i should probably i don't know think about that a little more i'm in the process of clicking this is a click inclusive strategy <laughs> yeah there's plenty to learn but we'll get there mostly things will continue to click that's kind of how i feel about clicking in general like when when even in magic when i like get a deck when it mm -hmm. clicks, like KCI was the best deck I ever played. It just doesn't all click. It's just a continual process of clicking. Like even at the end, when I was very comfortable with everything, I knew there was still so much left to do. Oh, definitely. Well, and particularly with magic, like I feel like the click like lasts for about a week and then the format changes and you gotta readjust. Like So sometimes I feel the the click just lasts a game. Sure. <laughs> like, remember the game? You only watched the very beginning of this. I was playing Underworld Breach in a classic. Mm -hmm. And my opponent, like, craniled me on turn three on the play. And I just didn't have any win conditions left. And then I think you walked away. Because <laughs> I, I was dead. But I knew that I could, like, theoretically win the game if I just played very fast and attacked with, like, my one twos that I had left in my deck. Because <laughs> my opponent had no pressure in his entire deck. Is playing some control pile. I got my opponent to two before he <laughs> killed me, and he had to use like Doom Blades on my Vizier's of Tumbling Sands and Seder Wayfinders and stuff like that. Yeah, I think when I walked back, I was like shocked that you were just finishing up that game. Like it didn't make any sense to me. But I knew I could. I had like a a good reasonable chance of winning with the hand I had based on my opponent's strategy that yeah. I think very very few people would have even tried to go for. And I was so close. God, I wish I would have won that game just so I could have rubbed it in your face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just had no faith. I did win the match, but, you know, that didn't count. It wasn't as important as game two to me. <laughs> All right, last question. What came first, the chicken or the egg? Okay, I don't have a good answer to this, but obviously the question what came first, the chicken or the egg, is... Depending on you look at it, either like a silly joke, like obviously this isn't how it works, or it's more of a sort of like philosophical meditation on like creation and origins and like how can something come from nothing generally. And my favorite explanation of that is my favorite of many categories is like whatever version of that came from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And I really, really like the creation myth from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is that adherents of one particular religion believe that the universe was sneezed out of the nose of a being called the Great Green Arkel Seizure. And I just the phrase the Great Green Arkel Seizure is just going to live on in my head forever. And I, it's just a little like bit of joy that I will always have access to. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy has some really good like one-liners in mm -hmm. it. I read that entire series and retained very little of it. <laughs> like a lot of things don't have like, because it's not 
a plot based enjoyment that you have. It's a lot of like, yeah, one liners, like little jokes, like little asides and stuff. And they don't always all stick with you forever. And that's one of the reasons why it's kind of such a joy to reread is you you get those like almost brand new a lot of the time. Well, I guess we do have any music recommendations. The second question. Yeah, I'll leave those to you because my music recommendations are video game music. I do listen to a lot of that, but I'll listen to like anything other people recommend me. I just will not retain artist information or anything like that. It'll just live on in my Spotify and I'll click random or play or whatever. I listen to a lot of random music people recommended me, but I cannot really tell you who they're by or anything like that. Sure. Um, All right. So let's see what I have been listening to lately. I went through a streak where the only thing that I listened to when I went on a run which is a lot. I run several times a week, but I would just listen to like Kiara, her entire sort of discography before her. Like this was before even her first full album came out that came out earlier this year. Uh, So it was just like an EP and then a bunch of singles and they were kind of all really good. So I like Kiara a lot. Apparently, Um, if you're if you're looking for some like sad boy music, there is a singer-songwriter named Julian Baker who is, I think, an exceptional lyricist and songwriter. And you just kind of, if you need to um, experience some emotions and some catharsis, that that, that really does it for me. Bon Iver is my favorite band ever. Also, some... Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I think 22 A Million is... To me, like a perfect album. And I, I just like don't really understand how anybody can be as good at this stuff as Justin Vernon is. As as good at anything as Justin Vernon is at writing and making music. The lyrics, especially for those songs, I think are very, very underrated. Yeah, he's he's just a really strong poet and it it, it shows through. I think that impresses me more than the actual music that I hear from them mm-hmm. because I mean, even though it's good, it's just the lyrics have stuck with me more than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they do that. That is probably the strongest part, but um, especially over time when, as the musical style has changed, like the first Bon Iver album was like pretty basic guitar folk music. And each album, it's just kind of like transformed more and more into just a lot of experimentation with styles. And it's not even just like, hey, there's a bunch of like electronic stuff going on. Like there is just a straight up 80s style synth track on on multiple of these albums, really. But it like works or like a track that's just super saxophone heavy, but and, and you know, not everybody is going to love every one of these. But to me, each of them really works, especially as a piece of the album and sort of the, the progression you go through for the whole thing. And I really like how it's not focused. It's never focused on like tight narrative structure, but you know there's always a story there if you pay attention and it just... There is a sense of like human understanding in, in the songs. Like a in, the best it, thing to me is it doesn't feel like pushed out of a factory like a lot of modern music does. Right. It really just feels authentic. 
yeah yeah this is like this is a fellow human being kind of experiencing the world and then inviting you to share in some of his experiences and i i find it to be really beautiful and really helpful to me what else okay sort of opposite end of the spectrum here i really like saint john a lot this is a rapper just a bunch of like really fun really well done hip-hop tracks uh some of them very silly but just good stuff i i highly recommend saint john yeah those are those are my right now music recommendations i probably will listen to what was the first artist you mentioned because i had you said they came out this year but i hadn't heard of them Oh no! I'm, I mean, Kiara has been around for a Kiara? while. Uh, her, I, I don't. I didn't recognize the name. Her first album. So she did like the track you would recognize is "Gold." If you recognize anything by her, a lot of the singles that came out are really good, and some are on the album. Some of the new tracks on the album were like kind of letdowns, but well, I'll, I'll listen to her because I don't. I don't. Rec- I'm not going to listen to this video right now. We're podcasting. I might have yes. already recognized it, but I didn't recognize her name. So yeah, I mean, it's very poppy like some hip-hop inspired but mostly just straight up pop music but really well done of that style you know like like food i'm pretty into any genre of music as long as it's a strong example of that genre of music so that's more flexible than i am i'm like pretty good about most stuff like that Mm -hmm. there's just like a a few genres i just can't they irritate me are we are we like a, a I listen to anything except for country and metal sort of situation or kind of mm-hmm. it really depends on how hard we're going <laughs> yeah because like some country I can listen to I because I, I you know grew up in the south sure. I listen to a lot of country because my dad is really big into that mm-hmm. but country now is just like super overproduced and it's horrible mm-hmm. it's like very 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 bad but metal has the opposite issue where it's kind of got two faces the same way country does mm-hmm. where you got overproduced and then like people mm-hmm. and the people is way better and overproduced is like unlistenable to me definitely my country music listening is pretty limited and only certain examples of it like make it into my rotation but i yeah like any of the like radio country you know uh, it just absolutely doesn't work for me but i do really like like chris stapleton rilo kylie has a bunch of like you know they're they're kind of an indie band but they have a bunch of country influenced stuff that sort of thing is is a little easier for me metal i kind of moved out of that phase when i was you know the more into instrumentation any metal group is mm-hmm. the more i'm likely to want to listen to it than like uh, screaming or like heavy lyric emphasis because yeah. i don't i don't think that's where metal usually shines or at least maybe i'm not like i don't well, know the genre because that that part isn't to your taste yeah 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 and and i guess like a, a huge emphasis of mine in like most music is i do really appreciate strong lyrics or like well-written lyrics and most metal to me if i like actually pay attention to the lyrics like the lyrics are very silly and it's like it's a lot of it is like really bad poetry basically like middle school bad poetry and that just tanks my enjoyment of the whole thing so that 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 makes it rough for me to listen to most metal 
like a lot of pop music is kind of like that to me too yeah. lyric wise where you're just like what why am i listening to this I'm, I'm like now that i'm listening to it right right yeah no i i definitely feel the same way about a lot of pop music that's why a lot of my pop listening not like you know i recommended kiara she's not some like transcendent lyricist although <laughs> a lot of it really does work for what it is but you know a lot of the pop i like is like indie pop kind of stuff like rilo kylie or feist or churches that they're, they're just some... going for a groove yeah that's true so that's like not that bad like you can just like things for what they are of course but it's hard for me to not as, as somebody who did you know i was very poetry focused for a, a solid period of my life and i really really appreciate just well put together words so it, it it's hard for me to not pay attention to that all right cool well, we talked about a bunch of magic Talked about a bunch of music, talked about poop and actual softballs, really did the whole, <laughs> like, everything that you could want on an episode. But yeah, yeah, I don't know how we'll top this one. Probably won't happen. Just cut our losses while we're ahead. Just to title this the peak episode. <laughs> I will do that. I, I'm absolutely <laughs> going to do that now. Okay, sure. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, so much for listening. We really, really appreciate your time. If you'd like to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. If you want to find us on social media, I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. I'm at Lee McLeo. I guess I'll be giving you my TikTok at some point soon, maybe, if I ever actually make any videos. It's got to be high quality to get the end of the, the podcast outro. That's true. Yeah, my Twitter is so high quality so high quality sometimes i just look at your twitter and i'm like wow i cannot believe he tweeted that <laughs> i got i am in twitter jail right now are you really for what or twitter probation i guess some guy in response to somebody posted an article about uh la cracking down on homeless and camp like encampments of homeless people which is like one of the grosser things our society does is like break up tent cities because the people around them are uncomfortable with it. Well, you know, it's our fault for allowing homelessness to be a problem. It's not their fault for not having anywhere to go. So, like, that whole thing sucks. So somebody, like, responded to it basically just not even implying, but just, like, saying that, like, all homeless people are dirty and do drugs. And I just, like, told that person to fuck off and that they were a piece of shit. And Twitter was like, that's not okay. It's like way more okay to dehumanize homeless people than to get mad at somebody for doing that. So you said the no no words, and yeah. that's far worse. So, anyways, I'm in Twitter jail. So you know, if you follow me now, then you can see my tweets. But you can't see my tweets if you don't follow me right now. So, ooh, so you got to get them while they're scorching hot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks everybody so much for listening, and have a great week. Until the next slightly less impressive episode. <laughs> <laughs>